morning, church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your blessing to come down upon this church today and tomorrow as we celebrate Christmas. Pray that we would receive that gift of Jesus Christ and that it would change us, as Keith mentioned, that we might become more like you. So use this time, Lord, to encourage your church in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a picture up here of Jesus from the book that we just read, and I want you to think about this Jesus in a manger and the gift that he is. So we go to the next slide, please. This is divinity clothing itself with dust. <laughs> Still strikes me with wonder that Jesus would do that for us. And today, this morning, we're on a simple quest of what does it look like to serve like Jesus? And I think Philippians 2 does a really good job showing us about Jesus and our response to Jesus today. Raise your hand if you got Christmas gifts under your Christmas tree today. All right. I had one Christmas where we had a numbering system so that we couldn't count presents for who got what. And somewhere along the way, that map went missing. And so best we could, we got numbers handed out, and we'd open up stuff, and I'd open up a present of towels. Okay, thanks. 
Uh, oh, that was for mom. Okay, you know, it just wasn't the best gift, okay? Um, and as we think about the gifts we get through Jesus, Jesus was the best gift. He's the definition of giving. He's the definition of serving. And we are not, <laughs> okay? Out of the womb, we come out with a give me, give me attitude, right? And it doesn't stop as we get older from infants. That attitude continues of give me, give me, a desire to receive, sometimes a desire to dominate and control so that we would continue to receive. And Jesus changes the course of history. He's much more than an example, but Scripture does call him an example for us to look at. And as we turn the corner into our first verse, I want us to back up just a few verses, starting in verse 1. So I believe Keith started in verse 4. But as we back up into verse 1, it says a series of questions, and I ask you these questions this morning, just as the writer of Philippians asked the church in Philippi. So the church in Philippi, they were not giving. They were destroying one another. They couldn't get along. They had the give me, give me attitude. And so Paul decides to ask them some questions. And I love that he asked them these questions instead of just a statement. It's almost like he's troubleshooting. Like if the car's not working, okay, it's like he's troubleshooting, okay? Like, have you checked these areas? Because <laughs> something is wrong. And so he asks these questions. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? He's almost asking, like, is there a car in the fuel tank? Or is there... <laughs> Is there oil in the engine, right? Are there, is the keys in the ignition? I'm, I'm a city, I don't know cars, all right? Some, some of you really know cars, right, Jeff? That's right. Um, but it's as if he's asking these questions because, um, like Keith said, it's a daunting task to hear that scripture, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Holy smokes. I know mine isn't. Okay, so where do we start? Well, are you belonging and united to Christ? Are you receiving encouragement from your relationship with Him on a daily basis? Are you finding comfort from Him? Are you finding love from Him? Are you fellowshipping and have a relationship with the Spirit of God in your life? Is this... Changing your heart from his heart of stone to a heart of flesh so that it's tender and compassionate. See how these are almost troubleshooting questions? Are you experiencing the gift of Jesus Christ? If not, I'm afraid to tell you this morning that you're not going to have a lot to give to your family. to those around you. The scripture says that we love because he first loved us. 
We can give because he first gave to us. And so we start in that posture of receiving from God. To be full of that. We've seen that theme from the servants we've looked at this last month. It keeps mentioning these servants, how they are full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of wisdom and full of grace. And that's why they were able to serve, right? That's why they were able to pour themselves out for others. Because they were full, they had much to give. And so some scriptures here, Ephesians 1.23 so the church is the body of Christ, and it is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself, right? This is the greatest gift. It brings you fullness, completeness, so that you don't have to starve. We start life starving, not just for milk, but a spiritual hunger that can only be filled by God. Ephesians 3.19 says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And so these examples that we've been looking at of Barnabas and Philip and Stephen, and most of them begin by sharing that he, they are full of the Spirit of God. And in the passage we look at today, that's how it starts with Jesus. He was fully God. That's why he was able to give. There was also some negative examples we've looked at over the last weeks. There was Ananias and Sapphira. They were a negative example. There was Simon a sorcerer, a negative example. And in Acts, it mentioned that they were full of bitterness, full of jealousy, full of sin, full of deceit, and full of fraud. Those were the terms used in Acts. You see the contrast, right? It was full of darkness. and That's how we all start. Ephesians 4.18 mentions that our minds were full of darkness. They wander from the life of God that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Romans 1.29 says that their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. And so you might be thinking to yourself this morning, I don't know, I've never done murder, right? So I don't, think, I don't think pastor's talking to me this morning. How about gossip, <laughs> right? How about envy? being jealous of someone else getting attention <laughs> or someone else getting credit. You know, a lot of times we think we're giving, but to truly give, we have to be like Christ and empty ourselves of all of these things. To look truly to the interest of another. Ephesians 5.8 says, Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. And that's why Philippians 2 verse 2 mentions, we can live a different way here. It says, if we're full, then let that fullness pour it out for others. 
That's a great test to see what you're really made of. If you're not full of the Spirit, not full of love and joy and peace and patience, you've got to look under the hood and ask some hood of the car and ask some questions. If you are full of the Spirit of God, then prove it. Go show it. Go live a life of light. Verse 2, it says, Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one purpose and one mind. Sorry, one mind and one purpose. Verse 3, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others, too. And then it leads into verse 5, a real kicker. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That term attitude is a theme throughout Philippians. It's used seven times. It's used in every chapter of Philippians. Even back in verse 2, it was used twice, talking about the attitude of these people. This term attitude is a Greek word about directing your mindset. And a lot of times we direct our minds towards ourselves. True humility is not thinking necessarily less of yourself. Self-depreciating. True humility is not thinking of yourself at all, but thinking of others. That's true humility. That in obedience you can serve others. That is this attitude that Christ Jesus had. This is important for us to get. Otherwise our families and our churches will crumble. Verse 6. This attitude starts with Jesus being fully God. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So it starts with him being fully God. And the scripture is clear that Jesus Christ is fully God. Divine nature. Colossians 1.5 says that he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2.9 says that in Christ he fills all, lives all the fullness of God in human body. And Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So he is fully God. Because of that, he has a lot to give. And he doesn't cling to it for his own advantage. He doesn't exploit it. Though a king ought to be served, he came not to be served, but to serve. And so in Romans, or in Philippians 2.7, says, instead, he gave. He gave a gift. And he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position, not even of a servant, but of a slave. There's a stronger word used here. A slave. And he was born as a human being. Isn't that the Christmas story? He was born as a human. He went from the throne to a feeding trough 
He came to sit in a dog bowl. <laughs> All right? That manger was not a, not a cradle, okay? That was more of a dog bowl that he chose to sat in. The spance of those two extremes is the immensity of his love for you this morning. It still blows my mind. If you truly understand the gospel, it shouldn't make sense. <laughs> but we will have all eternity trying to comprehend how great God's love is for us. Ephesians mentions that this is a love that is wider and higher and deeper than we could ever imagine. Verse 8 says that he appeared in human form and he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So the last slide was kind of the Christmas message. And the Christmas message doesn't make sense unless we know why Christ came. And that's the Easter message, that he came to die on a cross for our sins. He took our place. We were the criminal and took our spot. As I've been a pastor, I've realized that the thing that troubles people the most is not necessarily politics, okay? It's not necessarily if I parsed the Greek correctly in a sermon. Even though seminary trained you that that was going to be the biggest, toughest questions in the office. No, the toughest questions is when people come face to face with death. Because it's something that our world has no answer for. Doesn't even try and answer it. Just ignores it. By saying purpose in life is just what you make of it. And when you die, it's all over. But there is a purpose found in Christ Jesus. And in the darkest of death, where scripture says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's because Christ took victory over that. He went to the darkness head on and he had victory. He brought light into the darkness so that we could have the light of hope in our lives. Philippians verse 9. Therefore, what a great therefore. He didn't stay in the grave, but God raised him and elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not everybody celebrates Christmas. Not everybody celebrates Easter. Not everybody celebrates, worships the Lord and the Sundays in between those holidays. But someday, everyone will bow and worship to God. Whether it be in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. We all acknowledge Him in the end. 
Now we can do so voluntarily, but then it will be involuntarily. Because he is given a name that is above all other names. And it's not the name of Jesus. He already had that name. But he was bestowed the name Lord. That is the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. We have the privilege this morning and even this evening, if you come back tonight, to gather around that Lord and say, you deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. And to receive the gift of his salvation. So have you received that gift today? It came through lowly means, but it's available to you. As verse 1 says, to receive that encouragement, to receive that comfort, to receive that constant relationship with God. And if we're doing that, then we can give that when we can pour ourselves out to one another. Because it will be God doing the work. The verses that follow in Philippians, it says that we should work hard at this because it is God in us working through us to will and to act according to His good pleasure. You can be that picture of God to your wife, to your son, to your daughter. But you have to receive it first into your own heart. So let's pray. Lord, in matters of the heart, who can discern? Scripture says that we're so quick to deceive ourselves. We do try to impress. We are selfish oftentimes. And yet, as you emptied yourself by being born in a manger, by dying on a cross, You've given us the greatest gift. Lord, that we might not serve ourselves, but that we might serve you. To that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.